0: Hello and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy. In this, the Darkest Timeline. I'm Axel Wright, and with me, as always, is Lord Commander Over. And I gotta keep playing around that intro because, like, even though I wanna play around with how I deliver most of it, gotta say the Darkest Timeline part exactly the same. Like, you locked it in with your with your delivery, and now I can't help. It. It's also the tagline of the podcast. Yes, so. Uh, That feels a little cheap to me, but I'll let it go. Anyway, before we do anything else, we got to do our patron sound off. Now, normally Ulrich does this, but since I'm supposed to be the one leading, like, buckler things, these are the people that, you know, are generous and kind enough to throw, you know, a little change our way so that we can continue to do this and do it better, and as we promise, we will, you know, make them as whatever level of fame we can ascribe to them. And those people are Pam Galley, Marquis... Orion McCain. Is McCann or McCain? You- McCann. McCann. Thank you. Chris Chipman, River Galley, Rugg, Ann Elmquist, Reed D, and Stefan R. Martinez. Yes, it's PH. Now, if you would like to become a patron, you know, you just head on over, you find our patrons, Geeks with Shields. Pretty easy to find. Uh, Throw us a quarter like an episode. Like, that is, you know, that goes a long way for us. And you know if you're so i, I lost my words hi this is what happens when i'm the first when i do this for the first time anyway thank you people who are patrons and thank you potential patrons anyway let's get on to something that i can talk about without stumbling over my words as much which is i was giving Ulrich the time there but that would be we're here to talk about something historical today so as some of you might know we are both fans of history ulrich a little more than me because he actually like studied history whereas i'm an engineer i just recreationally like it and we're talking about one of the most famous generals in the history of war uh, hannibal barca who you know plenty of people who aren't historians of war just hear the word hannibal and they think hannibal elector it's like well, why do you think he was named in the first place because he was a genius and hannibal barca is one of the usually one of the top five listed military geniuses in like the history of war
1: right i'd argue even people who don't know history know hannibal Because he's one of the guys that gets taught in your elementary, at least my elementary, history class. We learned about Hannibal, the guy who took elephants across the alps.
0: Yeah, I didn't know... Anything about? I didn't know this was a person basically until you started telling me about him. So I didn't learn. Oh no, it was the
1: other way around because I remember you'd watch the extra history on Hannibal, and you asked me, "You ever heard of this guy Hannibal?" And I said, "Have I ever heard of Hannibal? Hannibal Barca, the enemy of Rome, the guy that did the impossible." I think I've heard of Hannibal. You're like, "Oh, I'm watching this extra history. He's really awesome." Okay, that sounds that
0: sounds right. That's because, yeah, Extra Credits did, when they started doing their Extra History, they did their first series on the Punic Wars, which is still one of my favorite history. It's just four episodes on YouTube, and, you know, Extra History is really great at presentations, where they make things really, like, fun to, to listen to. Their, their series on Admiral Yi sun Tzu, I, I'm not pronouncing his last name right, I'm pretty sure I messed up entirely, but Admiral Yi from Korea is one of my favorite series of videos, period. Online, Anyway, but today we're talking about Hannibal. And my point is that I wasn't taught about Hannibal in school. Like, my history was mostly focused, I guess, on American history and, like, broad European history with not as much focus on, you know, people. Like, individuals.
1: That's the basic education everybody gets, because year after year, no one can remember basic American history, so history you just have to start over again. But everyone likes Rome, because it's Rome, and Hannibal was one of the few people to almost make Rome not a thing, so he's an easy one to go back to, it's like, yeah, hey, this is one guy from Carthage, he put the fear of God in the Romans, and s- then he died. As a side note, did they actually call it history in your schools? Because in my schools,
0: I didn't attend a quote-unquote history lesson with that title until my junior year of high school when I took uh, AP U.S. History. Before that, it was social studies.
1: Oh, yeah. I don't think I ever took an officially titled history class. I think the closest I came was military tactics of the Civil War. And even then, history doesn't appear in that title. Hmm.
0: But yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, and is just here to listen to us ramble about things, uh, you might have heard Carthage. You you know what Rome is. Everyone knows what Rome is, like world over, right? Most of the Western world is constructed based on Roman precepts, how our government is the way it is. It's why languages in the West are the way they are. But Carthage, probably haven't heard of. Because of the wars that Hannibal was involved in, not because of him, no, he was fighting for Carthage. No
1: it, longer but, exists. Yeah, like, well, that's my th-
0: point: is it, it doesn't exist because of those wars?
1: So yeah, no, the Romans burned it to the ground and then salted the earth, so nothing would ever grow there again. In fact, uh, and again, I'm stealing this from extra
0: history. The we call it the Punic Wars, basically because the people from Carthage were called Phoenicians by the romans which is punic which becomes ponic which becomes punic it's just how language works and in uh in western european like 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 english for instance punic still means treacherous apparently you know because the that way they were Rome's enemy. Essentially in Rome 1, Victor's right history, you know?
1: And to get ahead of this, not going to be a history lesson. We're going to bounce around, talk about all sorts of random things. If you are interested in this, maybe check out Extra Histories uh, episode. Or Dan Carlin has a fantastic series where he goes over both the second and third Punic War. My favorite part being the third Punic War, which I did not realize was as gruesome or long as it actually was.
0: Yeah, we are by no means claiming to be anything approaching like history experts or, you know, actual historians. We're just enthusiasts who wanted to give you some tidbits so maybe you can go look it up yourself. Because history is while I still think that math is probably the most underappreciated ratio to importance uh subject in education, history is is possibly the second most in my aspect. Opinion, because you know history is how you learn how to structure society and how people can act. And when you ignore it, you make the same mistakes. Classic, you know, line is classic.
1: All I'll say is Nazis are coming back, and people don't understand why that's a bad. Thing.
0: Exactly. Anyway, so Hannibal Barca.
1: First thing you gotta understand
0: about Hannibal Barca: his family, the the Barkins, were rich to a level that doesn't really exist in people today outside of like the Rothschilds and the Morgans. You know what I mean? Because his his father had basically taken over all these silver mines in uh was it Spain? Yeah. It is in Spain. Alright, so so the Punic the second Punic War specifically, which is like the big one where Hannibal does things, is Almost purely funded by the Barkin family.
1: (laughs) It pretty much is just... Here's the thing you understand about Hannibal and his family. They hated the Romans because of the first Punic War, which was the first war between Rome and Carthage. And so essentially Hannibal went, you know what, I'm going to go fuck over the Romans and just kind of started marching with an army. And Carthage was like, hey, Hannibal, what you up to? Oh, I'm just on a walk. Uh Uh-huh. Got a lot of dudes for a walk. Well, you never know what's going. Oh no, I stumbled in Italy. Guess we're at war. Carthage, fuck.
0: Yeah, and this is one of those things where like it, it comes down to how you interpret history. Because first of all, right, Hannibal as a child had sworn a blood oath against Rome uh, through his father. Because his father, you know, ha- Hamil. It's
1: Hamilcar. Uh, Hamilcar's Hamilcar. his brother. Here's the funny thing about the Pino no, has a lot has,
0: of. Sorry, Hamilcar's his
1: brother. I don't remember his father's name, but the thing about all three Punic Wars is there's two main families, the Scipios and the uh, Barcas. I'm pretty sure Hannibal is also
0: his father, but you got to remember it's that these names entirely possible because yeah, back like, examples. He just mentioned Scipio, who is also considered one of the greatest military experts who basically invent, like it's said that Hannibal invented quote unquote, modern military tactics and then Scipio improved on it, which is why he beat Hannibal really. But In both cases, you've got children with the exact... Like, Scipio's father has literally the exact same name as him. Yeah, well, (laughs) there's Scipio Scipio
1: the Elder, Scipio Africanus, and then Scipio the Junior, which is Scipio Africanus' son. And, yeah, it's the same thing on Hannibal's side. His brother was named Hamilcar, and he was Hannibal.
0: Anyway, so the point is hamilcar senior because i'm pretty sure i could be wrong but uh hannibal's dad made him swear a blood oath because like i hate rome so my sons are gonna hate rome too so then cut to hannibal's 26 years old he's got a uh, control of pretty sizable army that he basically inherited from his dad and and he hates rome because of what it did to his family and so then he just starts moving his army closer and closer to italy until they reach this city where it's like hey i know we signed this treaty and according to the treaty, this city, I say, this city is in my territory. And Rome's like, it's in our territory. And Hannibal's like, we could argue, or I could just sack it. So he does.
1: Yeah, and that was kind of the thing, is Rome did not think Carthage would go for another war. They got their—they lost a big chunk of territory, and Rome considered itself a powerhouse. And technically, they were right. Carthage wanted nothing to do with another war. Like we said earlier, Hannibal just kind of wandered into Roman territory and said, "My." The other crazy thing about Hannibal that I find interesting is that he went the counterintuitive way everyone thought. Everyone thought that he's going to come up from Carthage, which is modern-day North Africa, and work up through Sicily and, you know, the food of Africa. Hannibal went up and over and through the Alps with it's elephants important. and all sorts of bad... It's baggage. important note
0: that when the war basically started, right, because... Uh, Hannibal knew that if he just stayed in his in Barkin territory in Spain, that he didn't have the manpower to repel a full Roman invasion force. It would have been a slow death. So he was like, "I have to invade Italy." And if I go the regular path, like you just said, I'm going to run directly into the Roman invasion force that I can't really handle. So then, as Ulrich just said, he instead went through the Alps in the beginning of winter, like September, what we'd call now, essentially, or well, the equivalent, essentially. Uh, And that was thought to be impossible because, yeah, Alps in the winter. And by estimates I've seen, he lost anywhere between like 60 and 70% of his entire force going through the Alps.
1: Well, elephants are not meant to go over cold, icy, narrow paths. Plus, there wasn't really a clear path cut through the Alps, and those are big-ass mountains. I mean, one of my favorite stories is apparently they got to a rock that was blocking the path. So Hannibal ordered his men to take what limited supplies they had and start a fire underneath the rock until the rock cracked. That was how determined he was to get through.
0: Oh, and don't forget that before even crossing the Alps, Hannibal uh, took, the counts I saw were about 3,000 men that he was like, you aren't tough enough, and I don't trust you. Leave.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he sent back a lot of the guys that were like, are we sure we want a war with Rome? He's like, get the fuck out. I'll hire mercenaries.
0: Yeah, or... uh, in more uh more to the point once i get over the alps i'm gonna get all the gaul tribes to join me and he gets like
1: 80 to 90 percent of them to join him <laughs> well this guy did the impossible and he came with giant floppy-eared monsters which again elephants and one of my favorite quotes of dan carlin is imagine you and 12 of your buddies are armed with spears and shields and you have to fight an elephant now imagine you have no idea what an elephant is how's that going yeah. to go for That is the key point,
0: is that you are a rural farmer who got conscripted into your army. The largest animal you've ever seen is a horse. You've never even heard of an elephant. And suddenly this massive gray monstrosity with essentially spears coming out of its face, making really loud unearthly sounds is coming towards you. (laughs)
1: And here's the thing. He didn't have that many elephants when he got through the Alps, but it was still this big status symbol of what the hell is that? And that guy came through where? And when? And how? Okay, maybe this guy can overthrow these guys that came in and took our land.
0: Yeah, as far Which- as like actual military strength, the elephants were really the least important part. The most important thing in Hannibal's Army by accounts that I've read was the Namidian cavalry that he had recruited. Like, he used them to such crazy
1: Elephants kind of suck as war weapons, to be honest. They don't do well in loud noises. They don't like... They aren't really aggressive. They panic. The best thing that he
0: used the elephants for was bolstering his own men's morale because they're big and intimidating and subsequently reducing enemies' morale. But, like, as far as actual, yeah, war machines go, they're less useful than, you know, the cavalry or even, like, a great infantry set.
1: And going back to the Numidian cavalry... It's a skirmisher, cavalry. And Rome really, throughout its existence, suffered with being fast and mobile. I mean, they had to build a whole new ship during the First Punic War because their ships were so slow and bulky. They invented a ship that could pin the Carthaginians. So here we are in the early stages of the Roman Republic, and they got great infantry, but they've got nothing on cavalry, which, again, not for the Numidians, really come in handy.
0: So it's funny, when you start re- researching, like, war tactics, you find that a lot of things, like, kind of cycle. You'll see new uh, twists on old plays, if as it were. Like, I imagine that the average American uh, understands what I mean when I say blocked formations, essentially, which is not, like, the official term. I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not a historian. I'm not a war guy, really. But from, like, watching Civil War movies, like, the idea of a bunch of people standing and essentially just rows so that it looked like a square from really high up well the reason why hannibal well one of the reasons why hannibal is called like a father of modern war tactics is because basically before this war that's just what you did when you fought like where you placed your square of humans it was important but generally speaking your troops were just in squares and hannibal was i know this sounds really oversimplified but he figured out better shapes to counter squares
1: Well, that's more or less true, because the Romans were still fighting in the Greek style of warfare with the phalanxes. I mean, they'd moved away from it a bit, but they were still... The backbone of the army was the triarii, which were seasoned, trained spearmen that weren't going to run away that marched in the phalanx.
0: You know, plus they were pretty well armored, so it's like the classic... Everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people seem like 300, you see those kind of... they were more armored than that, first of all, but we're not getting here to talk about that. <laughs> the, the point is though that like everyone close together so the shields can like block each other. That's that is, you know, important.
1: So well, it also it goes back to the basic psychology of you can't run away if you're squeezed together with your buddies. Because that was the basic tactic was make the other side not want to fight anymore and run away. This yes. period of time, limited casualties was the name of the game because you had to go back and farm.
0: Yeah, so the first few like skirmishes and battles after Hannibal came, like he won the first skirmish, which was a very small skirmish, but it ended up being important because these men had just come over the mountains and felt terrible, and this was a morale boost that they desperately needed. And
1: well. There's that. Plus, Hannibal had promised them looting and pillaging in exchange for wages. And if they lost the battle, they were going to turn on him real quick.
0: Yeah. So very important. Also important that the way Rome functioned, right? For anyone, like everyone's sort of like the Roman Senate essentially, but Rome was run by essentially two uh, proconsuls. I think is the term, for... which is like having two presidents essentially but there are also your masters of war your generals like they actually lead the army on the battlefield and if the two pro consuls are together then they have even an odd days so what you see happening repeatedly is that either or is that usually one pro consul who is sent against hannibal will be like hey maybe we should you know, be cautious and, and figure things out. And the other one will be like, I want glory at war. Let's go. And just throw himself at Hannibal, who then proceeds to outsmart and destroy him. Like, this happens over and over again during this campaign. And this whole time this happening, the other fronts of the war, like in Spain and in, uh, you know, actual near Carthage, like Rome's doing all right. Like, they're not doing so well against Spain early on, but they start turning things around pretty quickly. So it's just like Hannibal's. Uh, front of the war just keeps decimating the Romans that get sent against him
1: well the thing Hannibal realized was he never let the Romans put him in a position he couldn't get away from he was very fast and mobile he kept on the move he didn't get stuck in sieges which historians argue back and forth on whether that was his big downfall or not but he kept mobile and he kept moving and he kept the Romans on the back foot and kind of afraid because his whole plan was to get all of these little individual tribes the Romans had subjugated to rise up against Rome because he wasn't planning to take the territory. He knew that he really couldn't hold it down, but if he could shatter the basis of the Roman Republic into its individual pieces, then Rome would no longer be an issue. Second part of this, that's Rome's army. That's the people of levying from If They go, you know what? Screw you. There goes a good chunk of Rome's army. Well, it's also important
0: to note that historians to this day, it seems, argue over what Hannibal's actual intentions were. Because, like, there's a great moment after a few... Of, first of all, I'm not going to talk about this right now, but look up the Battle of Cannae. Anyone who has, like, not heard of that, it is my favorite historical battle. It's basically what is used... It's, like, taught in military schools to this day because it accomplished something that no other battle to that point had and that people have keep track, which was an encirclement of a larger force by a smaller force. I might talk about it in a second, but point is Hannibal keeps on winning these, you know, these engagements, but he, he gets to a point where he's basically gotten rid of all Roman forces in front of him. And one of the big things historians argue about is that he chooses not to attack Rome. Like they argue whether or not he could have taken it or whether or not he should have. But the, the point is he makes the decision not to, to just basically chill and <laughs> and bolster his forces. And so that's why a lot of uh, – from what I've seen, like you – know, I've only read like five or six different accounts of the second Punic war, so I'm not like an expert or anything. But what I've seen just people say is, yeah, he was more interested in just like maybe forming a Carthaginian colony – like close by, or like you said, just uh, getting rid of the support system for Rome so he could bleed them slowly. But yeah, he wasn't really interested seemingly in taking Rome itself.
1: Well, he was essentially still fighting this war on his own. The Carthaginian Senate was on the fence on how long they really wanted to support Hannibal because they were not a military power. Rome was a military power. Carthage was a trade power. They liked making money. They liked hiring mercenaries to go fight their wars for him. And Hannibal's over here causing a bunch of trouble and ruining their trade. So Hannibal has to win victory and he has to make it seem plausible he can win. And another
0: another important thing about that too, right? Like I mentioned Cana, uh, which was... Probably the first, like, incredibly decisive, like, overpowering victory. Because if you read the statistics, that in that battle, it was Rome with 80,000 soldiers against Hannibal with about 50,000. So almost double, really. So let's and then,
1: talk about that real quick. Because, I mean, if we're going to talk about Hannibal, we got to talk about Cannae and what that meant both historically and for the Romans at the time.
0: Okay, well then i don't want to go too deep into this but for those so what happens is basically you've got that pro consul thing i talked about you've got two different consuls allied against hannibal hannibal knows both of their like personalities essentially so he knows that one of them is a lot more hot-headed and they have this time these are like seasoned roman soldiers because this is the pro consuls like raised armies essentially so what what Hannibal does in this battle is... Remember I mentioned that Rome generally is all squares. So if you look at, like, from the top-down view, like if we were playing, you know, a, a war board game, it's just set up in these, these squares of soldiers. Instead, what Hannibal does is he makes what's called an inverted crescent, where he positions his weakest infantry closest to the opposing enemy lines, and then having essentially stronger infantry as he branches out, getting farther and farther away from the lines, ending with at the, the farthest away from the enemies and at the corners of the crescent, you know, like a moon, are the, the Midian cavalry, essentially. He positions himself and what elephants he has in the middle as, a, as more or a morale booster to those soldiers than anything. So the Roman pro- proconsul, who is all war-hungry, essentially, on his day he controls, sees this and thinks, all right, I'm going to batter ram battering ram my forces through that weak middle and cut his forces into two thus routing them right but when he smacks so that's what he tells his soldiers to do and when he smacks into the front of hannibal's forces instead of breaking through they hold and just start pushing or pulling back slowly until the inverted crescent starts essentially flattening and then turning into a line and then eventually curling the other way so the cavalry can come around behind them and then encircle the entire force. And so like I said this was 50,000 soldiers encircling 80,000. Something like that had to our records never happened in the history of war <laughs> before. Well,
1: here's the other thing about it is historically no one has ever been able to pull it off ever again because well, that's not true. Scipio so many...
0: kind of pulls it off later.
1: Yeah, but it's not to the same ex- it's not the same thing. Because some historians debate whether Hannibal even planned it that way or he just, you know, wanted to protect his flanks. We put his strongest guys there and he knew his weakest guys were in the center. So he put himself to keep them from running and it was a happy accident. Because the amount of coordination that it would take to make sure your center bends but doesn't break and, you know, your sides will envelop your enemy all of that to coordinate that's a huge gamble and the center were mercenaries these were guys that were not fighting for the honor of the barca family or the honor of carthage they were fighting because you know what they wanted to you know go on an adventure make some money and go back home yeah
0: which is also why positioning himself and his elephants there were kind of like a, if you desert me then this is I'm coming for you. <laughs> you know, it's an intimidation tactic, but boosting the soldiers. Now, I've I mentioned this before. I think we were talking with Chris, but generally speaking, most war engagements of ancient world, like even in, even once gunpowder is involved of of uh, included, this doesn't really change. But most engagements don't really have high percentage of life lost because you have to do these wars over a period of time. So you lose, you start losing close to like ten percent of your you know forces. And you can't really afford to keep going unless you basically can't escape or you have some plan to turn you it around. So seemingly... them
1: down. <laughs> That's the other thing.
0: Yeah. So my point is that most battles are lost, are, are lost, quote unquote, with like not an overwhelming, you know, loss. Just you lost. You you lost uh, like ten to twenty percent of your forces, and then you you rout. So you could come back later. But these Romans, these eighty thousand Romans, were encircled. So they couldn't escape at all. They were apparently so close together they couldn't even lift their arms. It's like the the scene from the Battle of the Bastards. It's literally like that, where like they're all like shoved together. So the day starts with eighty thousand Romans. Only 3,000 of which escaped.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and here's the, the battle is said to have only gone on for a very short period of time, but the slaughtering of the Romans went on all day. Records have it that there was so much blood that it couldn't soak into the ground, and it became a literal lake of blood where these Romans were dead and dying.
0: Yeah, so this is this is the battle that basically cemented Hannibal. Like, he kept doing things like this. Like, there was a battle at a lake called Trebia, where he also had some brilliant, like, military tactics similarly, where he basically was hiding infantry and cavalry behind, like, hills and using a lake and stuff. But Cannae is just the one that is, like, held up as the gold standard. And this is why, after this, like, basically all the Roman proconsuls who had been thrown against him had come back humiliated. So uh, Rome elected a dictator – not what that means today. That meant something pretty different back then. But it's um, they elect this guy, uh, Fabius. I don't remember the rest of his name, but Fabius is the important part because we call Fabian tactics after him, who figured out, all right, I'm not going to fight Hannibal right up. I'm just going to have my forces stay nearby him but always at an advantageous position so that they can never be caught in you know a trap like that. He essentially just- used
1: Hannibal's tactics against him because that's what Hannibal had been doing throughout the war was only fighting when it was advantageous to him and the Romans were so confident or so glory-hungry, they just blundered right in.
0: Yeah, and then, uh, so Fabius remains dictator for six months because that's how things worked for Rome. And it doesn't go, I mean, that goes really well. It probably saved Rome, Fabian tactics, but Rome hates it. So after he goes away, they hire new pro-councils to go to try to fight Hannibal again and get killed again. (laughs) And that's the point I was talking about before, where at that point, there was basically no soldiers to protect Rome. And Hannibal just chooses not to try to sack Rome because, well, historians debate the reasons why. But most likely because he wasn't really interested in trying to. (laughs) So
1: I'll make this brief argument on my theory of why he didn't take Rome. And it kind of boils down to... It was against his tactic because if he tried to take Rome, that's a siege. So he's in one spot and the Romans can bring their armies up because they still had armies roaming about the country that could have came in and pinned him with no retreat against Rome. So I think he kind of looked at it and gone, nah, I can't win this. This isn't to my advantage. Any day now, the Roman uh, vassals will rise up and join me and Carthage will send me more forces because I've just defeated Rome. I have, you know, beaten them soundly, can I? They, they, they can't go on any longer. And, well, the Romans were a bit more stubborn than that.
0: Also, since this is supposed to be a, a talk mostly about Hannibal, and not the Punic Wars itself, another badass thing that Hannibal did, at one point, in order to flank Roman soldiers, he moved his army through what was considered an impassable marsh. So, again, pulling an Alps trick, except this time it was with a marsh. And while going through, his eyes got so infected with, like, Marsh disease, I think is what... Like, like, I don't know what it was, but he just had to cut one out. (laughs) So that's where he gets his eye patch, just because he cut out one of his eyes to get rid of the infection. It's pretty hardcore.
1: So, yeah, that's Hannibal. There's tons of material about him. Please, if this interested you at all, go check it out. Also, I cannot be the
0: only one... The last thing I'll say before you continue, though, is... um, So Hannibal basically never had a... Resounding defeat in Italy. Near the end of the Second Punic War, after Spain and Carthage were getting you know, l- resoundingly losing to Roman forces, Carthage recalled Hannibal from Italy to come protect Carthage. And that's the only reason he left. Like, to him, you know, from most accounts, this was uh really bad. I don't know. I don't have the right adjectives to describe this, but like, he told them, yeah, don't, <laughs> we shouldn't be. F- Like fighting Rome right now, we should be taking this time to get our raw recruits stronger. And they were like, No, come back to Carthage, fight, get them out of here. And so he comes back and then proceeds to get, I'm not going to say rolled over, but the Scipio Africanus, who wasn't called that yet, shows up and proceeds to, well, end Hannibal's career over a period of time. And that's why the Second Punic Wars are the main area where he shined. So now I would say that what you were saying, if any of this is interesting, uh, a great initial source, like I said, extra history series in the Punic Wars is great. Uh, what's the name of that guy that you sent me a video on recently about, about Hannibal?
1: Oh, uh, give me a second. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, Lindy Beige.
0: Yeah, Lindy Beige is, par- is this um, well-known historian on YouTube, apparently, who is a really like pr- a big scholar of Hannibal, I guess. He has a great
1: if- way of presenting.
0: Yeah, and apparently he has like an hour-long um, lecture that you can find online about about these kind of events that we're talking about and it's it's very fascinating stuff to to us anyway (laughs) hopefully to you as well
1: yeah because i want the hannibal big budget you know historical epic with idris elba playing hannibal i have even got the tagline it's called hannibal the man who challenged rome it would be awesome and i need to see it and please, please 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 Hire a historian to keep everything more or less accurate. Alright. <laughs> you don't know anyway, win an so Oscar our, for that. You can imagine the Oscar.
0: All you know is that at one point apparently Alexander Siddig played Hannibal, and I really like Alexander Siddig, so I want to see whatever that was that he played him in. I don't know what it was, but I saw a picture of it.
1: So Anyways, Hannibal movie. Make it happen.
0: Anyway, so yeah, that's our, our little spiel about Hannibal. So, do you have anything else maybe uh, to, to share with us,
1: Ulrich? Relevant? Not that jumps to mind. Like I said, I could ramble about Hannibal for hours. I mean, Axel and I got into a heated debate uh, during my bachelor party about him, which we can go into another time. You have other
0: contractually obligated duties.
1: Oh, yes, yeah. our other contractually obligated duties, because much like the Senate of Carthage, We have people that help support us, so we can go on campaigns in Rome, if that makes any sense. Go on. We're talking about this week's sponsor. This week's sponsor, this week's episode, is brought to you by the Talkbuster Podcast. Every episode, Chris Chipman and a guest reminisce about their times working for Blockbuster. Even if you've never worked for Blockbuster, I guarantee you'll find their stories both hilarious and relatable. Listen to the Talkbuster Podcast on all of your favorite platforms.
0: And it's awesome. (laughs) There's my input.
1: Now, normally,
0: we don't do suggestions of the week for bucklers, and we're going to continue that. But I will say that I've been doing a lot of role-playing online lately, and if you haven't checked out Roll20, check it out. Now, I don't have anything else, so I'm going to take us right to the end here. Thank you for listening. You know, be sure to like, share, subscribe, do all the various internet things. I don't know what all of them are. Ulrich keeps track of it more than I do. But, you know, the more people see this, the more we grow, the more we grow, the more we can do. Makes Ulrich happy. And when Ulrich's happy, I'm happy. Well, also, I do like the validation in general, but, you know, I do this more for the funds. But, uh, you know, help us any way you feel comfortable with. And normally, I'm supposed to share our platform stuff, but since I'm doing this thing, I think
1: it's your turn, Ulric. Ulrich. All right. Well, we've been expanding on to other platforms that you've been asking us for. We are on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. Now, if we're not on a podcast platform of your choice, just leave us a comment going, hey, go check out this place, and we'll look into it. And if it's viable, we'll be there. And we
0: really like these history things, so we'll probably do them whether they're popular or not. But if there's any particular history figure or event that maybe you've heard the term before, but you don't know anything about, then uh, you know, let us know. And maybe we'll give you like a, a, a brief kind of little just fun talk like this and direct you to whatever sources might be more in-depth, right? I mean, I'm pro that idea, right, Ork? Yeah, this
1: is a lot easier than doing our warrior corners which we haven't done in a while because they are long and exhausting yeah but
0: that doesn't mean we won't do more we have some planned anyway as always this has been axel Rank. and shield brother lord commander Ulrich. be sure to tune in next time and as always stay honorable